Samuel chapter 23, and uh, we're going to be studying verses 1 through 14 today. 1 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 14. It says, Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I, have, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David, to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war, to go down to Keilah and besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar, the priest, uh, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, you, your servant, has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition, and David remained in the strongholds, in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Zeph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Amen. All right, so this week begins a four-week study into the providence of God. I'm pretty excited about this series that we're about to enter. Um, I, I stumbled across it. I can't take credit for it. It's by the providence of God that, that he brought me here uh, to talk about his providence. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, but today we're going to talk about God, the providence of God in directing our steps and uh, future topics, which is the next, like I said, four weeks, uh, we'll be talking about the providence of God in protecting our path, uh, the providence of God in conditioning our hearts, and then also the providence of God in completing his work in us. Uh, those are the, uh, the four different sermons that are going to be uh, centered around the providence of God. Now, obviously, we won't answer every question that we have about his providence because that will take a lifetime and more. Uh, I, I truly feel that we'll continue to, as we leave this life and go into eternal rest in the presence of our Lord, we're going to spend eternity learning about God, even still then. And uh, some, his providence is one of those things that we'll be able to focus on more clearly uh, when we are in glory with him. But for now, my hope is that we will gain a better understanding of how he governs our lives. And not only our lives, but also all things, everything that he has created. God is not a God who has created all things and then taken his hands off and it just automatically goes as it goes. 
God is the God who is in the details of our lives. And that is awesome to be able to say that we worship a God that's in the details of our lives. Um, not, not only us, but all of his creation. So uh, he's governing our lives to an ultimate purpose and a definite end. Uh, there is purpose and there is an end. Uh, God, God has said it in his word. And that is something that should give us hope as Christians that there, God has an ultimate purpose for our life, and then there's also a definite end to all things. And, and that in, in Christ is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But let me give you some examples pertaining to maybe some of the questions that you've had here recently, uh, and these questions you may have not been able to answer maybe all your life. Uh, for instance, how many times have you wondered, why is this happening to me? Whatever it is, why is this happening to me? I, I think we've all been there. More specifically, why does God continue to allow me to suffer these difficult circumstances? I know within our church uh, body, we have people who are suffering from illnesses. We have people who are suffering depression. We have people who are just suffering in general. And it has not been an easy thing. Their life has not been an easy life. It has not been without turmoil, without suffering. And maybe you're tired and you're wondering why, why? Why am I still dealing with this difficult circumstance? Maybe it's a sin issue, and you're asking the question, why doesn't this sin just go away? Uh, I, I, I know we all sinned, right? Not one of us is without sin. And uh, some of us are struggling with, with strongholds, these sins that have been part of our lives, and it's just hard to, to get rid of for one, whatever reason. And we're just tired of dealing with that sin, and we're just wondering, why, why, is it, why doesn't this just go away? I, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, right? That's what we think in our heads. And yet, we still struggle with that sin. Or, why can't I just overcome these feelings and be happy? Uh, amen? Anybody? Right? Why can't I just be happy, right? Why, I, God has given me everything I need. Why can't I be content with what I have? Why can't I just c get over these feelings of being depressed, of, of, of just, you know, just having a bad outlook on life? Why can't I just get over it and, like I said, be happy? Now, these are questions that we ask every day. We ask ourselves, or maybe we wonder this about somebody else. But uh, we ask ourselves these questions because we grow frustrated and impatient. The thing is, is that God's word says that there's hope for us. Our passage today helps us to see that God is actually using our circumstances. No matter how bad they are, how difficult they are, unpleasant they are, God is using our circumstances to direct our steps toward fulfilling his purpose. And uh, if God is doing that with our lives, and that gives us purpose. See, he directs our steps through the good, the bad, and ugliness of life to bring about his glory and somehow, just somehow, to bring about our good. Even when it doesn't feel like our good, God's word tells us that he's bringing about his glory and our good. So, what I want to do is I want to use our passage today to see how God does this in the life of David and Saul, and then also what we can learn from that. So uh, the first thing I want to do is exegete the passage and give you some background, uh, background information as to what's going on here. First of all, we see that David uh, is basically saving the city of Keilah in, in this passage, and that's kind of the main event that is happening, but there's so much more that goes into what they, what's going on in this passage. Um, it, it begins with David receiving a call that the nearby city of Keilah is in trouble. So Keilah was just 
a few miles away from where David was. David was in the cave of Adullam. You remember before, before the story went to Saul and, and Saul over there at, at the city of Nob was talking about David in, in, in the cave of Adullam and how he was hiding out there. Well, Keilah is not far from that. So he gets a direct message from Keilah saying, hey, we need your help. Uh, David is coming back from running away from Saul in fear, sinning against God. So he kind of backslid. He he was running away and, and not even considering what God was telling him. He's just going all kind of different directions. And he ended up going into Philistine territory. And he went to seek refuge with his enemies and also the enemies of God. And so he came to the conclusion that that was a really, really dumb idea. And when he's there and they recognize who he is and they're about to kill him, basically, he's like, man, I've, I've made a mistake. He sees his sin. He, he's humbled by his sin. And then he retreats back to uh, Judea. And that's where he is now. And that's where Keilah is. And so he receives a message that they're in trouble, that, that basically the Philistines are attacking Keilah and they are robbing the threshing floor. Now, the reason why that's so important is because the threshing floor is where their grain was. So Keilah, they're, they're, the Philistines are robbing Keilah of their, their, their product, their, of their food, of their main source of everything, you know, uh, to be able to eat, to sell, to do everything. And so they are being robbed by the Philistines, and David hears of this. And it's interesting that it is David, the one that is called, and also David that the one is, is the one that, that goes and saves Keilah. Should have been Saul, right? Because Saul is the acting king. Even though David has been anointed, he has not stepped into the role of king. Saul is the acting king of Israel. But the problem with Saul is that he's too busy hunting David down. Now, this showed how tunneled vision Saul had become. He was just completely um, enamored with himself and, and his will and what he, what he wanted to happen within his life and also the life of the nation. Uh, he was trying to complete what was in his heart. And his, amb- amb- excuse me, his ambitions were not God-seeking. Rather, he was being led by his sinful desires. Uh, he was being led by his sinful desires, and he was acting as if he did not answer to anyone but rather that everyone answered to him. Uh, speaking of Saul, his actions are horrible in uh, chapter 22, where he goes into the city of Nob and he kills the priests that are there. And not only the priests, but also their families. He kills their wives. He kills the children. Now, think about how, uh, how egregious of a sin that is. Number one, he's, he's murdering somebody without cause, uh, so it's not like self-defense or anything like that. So he's actually murdering someone, but he killed his own people. And not only that, but as a king, he's supposed to protect his own people, but he's supposed to especially protect the spiritual leaders and the spiritual community of Israel. And he goes to the priests of God and he begins just to slaughter all of them and their wives and their children. So Saul is ruling as if he is the one who answers to no one, but yet everyone answers to him. In fact, he was upset that everyone had betrayed him and was was helping David. And because of that, that was his excuse for basically obliterating the priesthood of Israel. One person escaped. And this is he's he's here in this story that we're reading now. Now, going back to David on David, on the other hand, he seemed to have made a serious change in his life. 
Saul, we see Saul just going into further sin and, and, and a life of turmoil. Well, David, since initially running away in fear, he's changed some things. Notice, first of all, how David checked with the Lord in prayer before he did anything drastic. That's a big difference from before. Because when Saul said, I'm going to kill you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase you down, David took off. Didn't, didn't pray, didn't, we didn't see him do anything but just run in fear. Well, now it says here in verse 2, it says, uh, before leaving to Keilah, it says, David inquired of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it means that he prayed to the Lord. He received this message, Keilah needs your help. They're being invaded by the Philistines. Uh, notice how he didn't ask, well, why isn't Saul taking care of that? Right? He's the king. Let him do it. I'm too busy trying to hide from him. I'm too busy trying to run away from him. But instead, he goes, inquires of the Lord, and he asks, shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord is faithful to David. The Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save the city. It says that in verse 2. But David hears these instructions, goes and tells his men, hey, this is what we need to do because this is what the Lord has, has told me. And David's men hear his idea, and they're like, mm, no, that's not a good idea, dude. Said, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Right? They're like, no, that's, that's a horrible idea. We're hiding from Saul right now. We can't hide from Saul and then go and fight someone else's battles. We're, we're too busy trying to live ourselves, just stay alive. Well, notice what David does. David inquired of the Lord again, verses 3 and 4. And the Lord answered him. Notice how the Lord's answer didn't change. The Lord didn't say, oh, oh, you didn't tell me you were having problems. Or you didn't tell me someone was chasing after you. You didn't tell me you were, you know, you were stressing about this, right? Oh, that, that's a different story. Then you don't have to do what, what I told you to do initially. The Lord doesn't say that. He says, arise, go to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And that's, that's what the Lord tells David. So what's awesome about this is that David obeys. Uh, he goes, evidently, we had to fill in the blanks here because it doesn't tell us specifically in Scripture, but uh, he, goes, he goes to them and says, hey, no, we're going to go. We're going to go, and we're going to go save that city. We're going to fight against the Philistines, and we're just going to trust the Lord that he's going to take care of us. But um, even when Saul had trapped, basically trapped David and Keilah, because Keilah, like, as I said, they go to Keilah, they fight the Philistines there, and they win. Now Saul hears that they go to Keilah. Maybe that's why David's men were afraid of that. Because they would hear that Saul would hear that they were there. Then he could trap them. Because evidently this city had gates. And he could just trap them in. And so Saul. Saul's thinking. Oh yes. Saul's still thinking God's on my side. And God has given David into my hands. And we're going to go, we're going to trap him in that city, we're going to kill him, and everything is going to be good. My kingdom will continue uh, to, to move on. Well, even when Saul had him trapped, and he sent out an all-out blitz to kill David and Keilah, David inquired of the Lord. He didn't just run away. Uh, look at verse 10. It says, Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant, has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. So he's having a conversation with the Lord, and he's basically setting up what is going on. He's, he's describing, hey, Saul's coming to kill me. And you can almost read into that where it's like, I've, 
I, I trusted you. You told me to come down here. You're going to take care of me. Now Saul's coming to kill me, and I'm worried about this. And then he continues, verse 11. He says, will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Now that's a very curious question because this is the city that David and his men just saved. That's a weird way to appreciate somebody, isn't it? Uh, that, that they turn around and David's worried about them surrendering them to Saul if he were to come down. And so he says, will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down, right? Verse 11, then he continues on. Then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? So evidently David heard somewhere that this was a possibility or else I don't think he'd be worried about it. So he's trying to understand what exactly the men of Keilah have planned for them. Will they fight with him or will they surrender him to Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Now, if you think about why the men of Keilah will surrender him, it makes a lot of sense. Saul just killed a, the city of the priests. He, he just obliterated his priest. Like, the, the guys in Keilah were like, man, we're not even priests. Uh, surely Saul's going to come, and if we don't do exactly what he tells us to do, we're dead men. And so David, thanks a lot for coming and saving us. We really appreciate it. But we're going to turn you in if we have to. Because we want to live. And so you get an understanding of, of why the men of Keilah would turn in David and why they had this fear of Saul. Saul was just a depraved individual. He was being led by, a, you know, a, a harmful spirit. And so he was out to kill anyone who got in his way. So, again, it makes a lot of sense. And the Lord tells David, they will surrender you. Notice what David does. Then David and his men who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David, had, that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. So it's pretty cool that we see David inquiring of the Lord the whole way. Even at the very end, there's really no, nothing else for David to do but to, again, continue to evade Saul. So it talks about him, them running wherever they could go. I don't see that as a disorganized, fearful, just run as he did the first time whenever he originally left uh, Saul's presence. I just see this as, hey, they took advantage of every opportunity to go and try to evade Saul to be able to stay alive. Because David knew at some point he was going to take over the kingdom, but it was going to be when God said and not when he said. So even with all this going on and them running away, it's different. It's different because he's seeking the Lord's will. He is seeking the Lord's word. And the, word, and, and, and the Lord is guiding his steps. So not only did David ask, but he also obeyed. I, I think about the courage that it took David to stand up to his own men. Whenever uh, he went to the Lord and said, should we go to Keilah? And the Lord said, you need to go. And then he goes and tells his men, and they're like, no, we're not going to do that. I, I, I just think about the courage it took for him to say, no, we are going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go by myself if I have to. Uh, but you're either going to come with me or you're just going to stay behind. Uh, I, I, I think about 
that because as a man of, in, in a leadership position, sometimes it is very difficult to stand up for the word of God. It, to be honest, it is difficult. You know what's going to happen. You don't like what's going to happen, but yet you stand firm on the word of God. The word of God, it, it's, it's an awesome thing. It is truth. And if you are on the side of the word of God, you have nothing to worry about, even, even when you face things that can harm you here in this world. So I want to give you that encouragement uh, because you also are people of leadership. You are leaders within your family. You're leaders within your job. You're leaders within your ministries. You are people of leadership, and you must stand on the word of God, even when it's not popular. That's what we're called to do, and I pray that you do that. But when we look at David's life, the biggest change that we see is that he sought wisdom from the Lord in the midst of troubling circumstances. And that's awesome. And that's not easy to do. Because uh, even as Christians, you know, we, when troubling circumstances come our way, unfortunately, not many go to the word of God first and foremost. Uh, before we go there or on the way over there, we like to have our own pity party. And we like to give up on things and we like to complain about things and we like to just complain to the Lord how unfair our circumstances are. Or we like to think about how we wish we could be somebody else or have their circumstances. It just goes on and on and on. And then eventually we get to the word of God and then we get calibrated and straightened out. And then we move on from there. At least I hope that's happening. But as we grow older and as we as we mature spiritually, uh, we should have less of those pity parties. We should. We, ha- we should have less of those pity parties. It should be, uh, it, it, we should be more of a re- mature reaction. Like, you know, a kid who's about one or two years old, you expect him to throw, uh, just, just have a pity party, uh, throw a tantrum for whatever if they don't get something. That's, even though it's not good to see and even though it needs to be corrected, uh, it's still acceptable because we see them as, oh, they're almost, they're babies. But if you're 45 years old and you're throwing a tantrum, that's a different story, right? That'd be a different story. That's, that's almost, that's disgusting as far as the way it looks, right? And so what, what do we do whenever our circumstances don't go our way? That's the way we look before the Lord when we're throwing tantrums or, or whatever we're doing. We need to learn to go to the word of God. And that's the biggest change that we see for David. Ultimately, he wanted to please God. And man, that showed great spiritual growth on his part. I don't know if David recognized it or not, but as we're reading it in scripture, we can see that spiritual growth. So the awesome thing about it too was that God provided direction and protection for David while he dealt with the circumstances in Keilah and also while he dealt with Saul, continuing to chase him down. See, Saul was sure that it was the Lord's will to give David into his hands. And we see that in verse seven, but the end, or in the end, we see that God arranged for David to have success in battle and also to have success in evading capture from Saul. Look at verse 14, it says, and David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Zeph, and Saul sought him every day. Like this, it didn't stop for David. He, Saul sought him every day, but notice, God did not give him into his hands. And it's so awesome to see that every step David took, the Lord was faithful to him. 
The Lord was faithful. Every step David took, we can see the faithfulness of God in bringing about his will for David's life. See, as God directed David's life through his birth, through his calling, through his anointing, through his victory over Goliath, through his victories over the Philistines. It's awesome to see that David has come to a deeper knowledge and also a deeper reverence for God. Now, is he perfect? Nah, because we know what happens in the future. But you always see this sin, repentance, faith in David's life. And that's a beautiful picture. But on the flip side, as God created David's life, or excuse me, as God directed David's life, not only through the good things, but as God directed David's life through getting caught scheming against Saul, uh, getting caught lying to Ahimelech, uh, taking refuge with his enemies, as God directed his life through his sin, it's the same result. David had come to a deeper knowledge and reverence of God. That's important for us to see through the good and through the bad. Same result. Why? Because God is involved. Either way, through any and all circumstances of his life, David had come to a deeper knowledge and reverence of God. See, that takes us to the biblical truth that is just lying in our scripture, who, that is laying in our scripture. God, and here's the truth, the biblical truth. God continually and perfectly directs the steps of all people. Of all people, and that includes you. See, the biblical truth is that God, he does this. He continually and perfectly directs the steps of all people, but not for the same reasons. Although David came to a deeper knowledge and reverence for God, it was clear, completely clear that Saul was on a different path. It's clear that Saul did not. For from what we know about Saul in scripture, he seems to be headed in the opposite direction. He seems to be, uh, in, instead of coming to grips with his sin, confessing it, it's, it's the opposite. Uh, whatever God is determined to do in the life of his creatures, and here we're looking at David and Saul, we must know that he is perfectly holy in doing so. Whatever he's determined to do. I want to use the confession to help me summarize, uh, or I want to summarize the confession to help me illustrate the differences between David's life and Saul's life. And I'm getting this from paragraph or, or chapter five, which is on God's divine providence, but this is paragraph five. And like I said, I'm going to summarize this and then fill it in with the things that we just read and what we've read before in 1 Samuel. It talks about God, how God is perfectly wise righteous and gracious and all that he is and all that he does right that's important to establish when we talk about God's providence it's not just God like hopelessly trying to do things and 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 praying and hoping that they work out but no this is a a God who is determined or who has determined who is determined and who has determined what will happen 
There is no uncertainty in his mind about anything that goes on in our lives. Why? Because he is perfectly wise, righteous, and gracious in all that he does and all that he is. God allows his children to experience temptation and the sinfulness of their own hearts. We see that in the life of David. David was allowed this when he ran from Saul in fear and he began to lie to everybody. God said, hey, you, you need to go through this. You need to go through this. You need to, you need to be tempted. You need to go through your sin so that you can see who you are. Not only that, but so that you can see who I am. Now, the confession says that God does this to chastise them for former sins and to make them aware of the corruption of their heart that they may be humbled. Looking at David, David was humbled, right? His humbling moment was when he stood before King Abimelech and realized what a fool he was. He had run to his enemy for help instead of running to God. And his enemy was there, had him in his hands and said, oh, I got you now. I'm going to kill you. And then he acted crazy and he's like, get that guy out of here. But it, he, he was humbled. He was humbled by that because it was, he came that close to death. And he realized, man, it was the Lord who saved me. In fact, Psalm 34, the psalm that he wrote in response to God saving him from that trouble, this is what he wrote, Psalm 34, 34 verse 6. This poor man cried out. That, that sounds like a man who is humbled, right? This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. But the confession continues. God also does this to lead them to a closer and more constant dependence on him to make them more cautious about all future sin. Well, like in David's case and life thus far, he is a man that is after the heart of God now. He, he needed some time of temptation. He needed some time of sin so that he could realize who he was, realize who he served, and it's, it's all coming around now. Now, the confession also says that God appoints these things in the lives of his elect for his glory and our good. That's what paragraph five, uh, chapter 5, paragraph 5 says. Now, the very next chapter, let me summarize that, and let's talk about Saul. It says here in, cha in uh, chapter 5, uh, paragraph, paragraph 6, God as a righteous judge sometimes blinds and hardens wicked and ungodly people because of their sin. He does this by withholding his grace from them. We see that happening in the life of Saul. Saul started out as the anointed king of God, and from day one, he just, it just wasn't happening for him. He was completely disobedient to the word of God, never repented from his sins, and we're going to continue to see him go down in wickedness. Uh, he sometimes, the confession continues, he sometimes takes away the gifts they already had and exposes them to situations that corrupt, their corrupt natures turn into opportunities for sin. Right? That reminds us of Saul. Remember, Saul was anointed king. What did God do? He took away the, his, the spirit from him and he gave him a harmful spirit. Right? So he took that ability away from, from Saul of being king. 
and gave him a harmful spirit. And now this harmful spirit has basically led Saul to seek after his, what his heart desires and not even care about what he's called to do as a king, what God has called him to do as a king. So since then, since God has taken this spirit away, Saul has done uh, basically one terrible thing that led to another. And then the confession continues. He gives them over to their own lusts, the temptations of the world and the power of Satan, so that they are Heart, so that they harden themselves in response to the same influences that God uses to soften others. Did you catch that? God, what he's using, the same situations, same type of circumstances, same type of troubles, triumphs, whatever. For one group of people, it's, it's helping them come to a deeper knowledge of God. And helping them come to a deeper reverence of God. It's not like these people don't suffer or don't go through things. But God, in directing their steps, has them growing spiritually. Now, on the other side, same things happening, but yet different result. Instead of growing in faith and growing in reverence, their hearts are being hardened. Now, Looking at this in God's divine providence, we can see this happening in in Scripture. We can see David. David was being humbled and he's growing in understanding and also growing in faith towards God. Saul was being hardened and he was growing and being calloused in disobedience towards God. I I like the way uh, Paul puts it in Romans chapter 9. This is how he describes it. He says, has the potter no right over the clay? He's making this illustration of God being the potter and how God has a right in his divine uh, sovereignty to do what it is he wants to do to those he has created. Right. So he says, has the right, uh, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another vessel for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. I tell you what, if if you are here and you are a Christian and What's happened to you in your life has led you to have more reverence for God. It has led you to increase your faith. You better be grateful where you sit. You better be grateful where you sit because it's not what you deserve. There are people who you're no better than. Because when we take away the spirit of God, when we take away Christ in us, we are no better than anyone else. It's all even playing field. So there's people there are people out there that you are no better than. And they've had a rougher time than you. And yet they are not growing spiritually. In fact, their hearts are being hardened. They're growing callous toward God. 
They are enemies of God. And you, you are his friend. You are his child. You, despite everything you've done, despite everything you are, you're his. That's a wonderful and beautiful thing. Because we can look at David's life and we can see that it's like, and David's supposed to be this guy after God's own heart. What does that really mean? Because David just, he, he has a life of sin. Well, we're all stained with that same sin. We're, we're just like David. In many ways, we're just like Saul. The only difference is the way God is directing our lives. It's his grace, it's his mercy that is making the difference for us. Next time you want to start complaining, next time you just want to start having a pity party, think about that. Next time you want to give yourself too much credit or you want to think of yourself as too mature or you've reached this pinnacle as a Christian, no, think about who you truly are. And the grace that you stand in. See, because when we look at our response to God's providence, I, I, that's pretty telling. Because to me, we know the biblical truth is that God, in his providence, directs the paths of everyone. Now, here's the pivotal question for today. What has been my response to God's providence. And I want you to make that personal. I really, I really want you to think about that. What has been your response to God's providence? I, I already gave you two examples. There's only two ways you can respond to God's providence. See, what we are seeing in the pages of Scripture happens before our eyes every day. There are people who, through God's providence, are being humbled and are growing in faith, and then there's also people who are being hardened and growing in disobedience toward God. And understanding the difference between these two types of people is crucial to seeing your spiritual condition. I'd like for you not to assume that you're just that you're good. Please, for a moment, don't assume that. Don't don't assume that, hey, yeah, I, I made a profession many years ago. And um, I'm good. I don't have anything to worry about. Listen to me very carefully. As I said, understanding the differences between these two types of people is crucial to seeing your spiritual condition. Looking at the lives of David and Saul, you cannot help but ask yourself, what about me? What about me? How have I responded to where God's providence has brought me today. Ask yourself, am I being humbled by my circumstances? Am I growing in faith? Or am I growing in callousness towards God and also growing in disobedience? This is a good question for all of us to ask ourselves, no matter what age we are. Ultimately, how you respond, either publicly or privately, both count, because some of us have gotten really good at faking it to make it. 
really, really good. We, we can't even tell the difference that you're suffering through something. We can't tell that you're lying about something. We can't tell, we can't see the sin in your heart because you do it with a smile. You have this mask on. It's like, no, everything's good. Just don't ask me about it. I'm one of y'all and it's great. Let's, let's just all, let's all get along together and let's continue doing church. So it does matter that we need to consider our responses publicly and, uh, publicly and privately How are we responding to God's providence publicly and privately over time? Over time. Over a length of time. Not just last couple weeks, last couple months, not even last year or so. How have you consistently responded to God's providence publicly and privately over a length of time or a span of time? Looking back at that, well, I tell you what, that reveals your spiritual condition. Why? Because we are recognized by our fruits. I was talking to Pastor Laramie last night, and we were talking about this topic, providence of God, and how God has, uh, me, I was just talking to him, and I was like, you know, I I feel like a whipped dog. That's exactly what I said when it comes to God's providence. Then I changed that. I was like, okay, well, you know what? Let me give a better illustration. I, I feel like a trained dog, right? So the other day, I'm in my backyard. I have this blue healer. We've had him for almost four years. When we first got him, he was horrible. He was a puppy, and he would just get into everything. He, he tore up a bunch of different things like puppies do. So it's taken a lot of discipline, right? Just a lot of discipline. And uh, he's, he's grown a whole lot, even though he does a lot of things that still get on my nerves, but he does, he's grown a whole lot since day one, bringing him home. And the other day I'm out in the backyard and I pass by him and we have people coming over and he's a bigger dog and sometimes he's very intimidating to little kids. So I have this nice runner that I put him on when people come over and he's not scaring the little kids. We were gonna have some visitors over. I pass right by him. I didn't even say a word to him. This is where our relationship is now. I pass by him and I snap, and he follows me. And he, he knows where I'm going. I just walk by, snap, he follows me. I go, and he doesn't like to be on the runner, but he better follow me, right? He better follow me because he knows he's going to be disciplined if he isn't. Right, right when I did that, I'm like, man, I'm blue. When it comes to the Lord, I'm, I'm blue. I've already been down that road where it's just like, I'm... I'm not going to go down that road again. It's like, even if I don't want to do what the Lord says, I know I better. Right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I think. I remember back in the day when I thought, oh, no, it does matter what I think. God wants to hear my opinion. That ain't true. I see the command of God. I feel the call of God. I put those two together. I understand this is what you better do, even if I don't want to do it. There are many of us who are still doing our own thing. There are many of us who are like Saul. Remember, Saul thought, oh, God's on my side. 
Surely God has given David into my hands. I have him now. The whole time he thought, yeah, God's on my side. There are many who think, yeah, God's on my side. And yet, they just continue to do what they want to do. They think, oh man, I'm growing. But yet, when you look at their fruit, they're not growing. It's so important because when we think about those, when we think about a person like that, it's always, oh, that person. Maybe right now you're sitting thinking, I wish that person were here to hear this sermon. But see, God, what's awesome in his divine providence has you sitting in your seat this morning. He has you sitting here listening to this sermon. So it's a possibility. Well, I know you needed it. See, there are two roads that God's providence leads a person to. In one direction, God's providence leads the person to repentance and then restoration. What, what type of restoration? Well, it's restoration to him his word, and his church. That's one direction. The other direction of God's providence leads a person to a hardening of the heart and separation. Notice the difference. One was to repentance and restoration. The other is a hardening of the heart and separation from him, his word, and his church. The road that leads to repentance and restoration well, if you continue to walk down that road, it's going to take you to further discipline, or excuse me, it's going to take you to sanctification and ultimately in, in glorification. What does that mean? Well, you're going to continue to follow this path because this is a path that God has you on. And God's going to grow you through your circumstances and he's going to fulfill his promise and ultimately bringing you home to him. What a wonderful and glorious thing. That's the best thing that could ever happen to us. But this other road, this other road, it's not so pretty. Uh, the other morning, I got up early in the morning because I had to go walking. And it, it, I, was, I was having to go and do something that day, so I had to wake up really early to go walking. Well, it was around, I woke up around 5.45, and I went to walking around 6 o'clock. And as I'm walking, I live out in Inez, there's a, uh, we have a neighborhood subdivision and it's nice roads and everything, but as soon as you step out, it's country. And so usually I have two ways to go when I walk out of my neighborhood, to the right or to the, right or to the left. And that morning, it was really dark and I looked at the right way. The right way is really wooded. It goes down into a hill. There's trees that come over the road. Uh, you go over a bridge. It's just really wooded and really dark. Look over the other way, there's streetlights. And I turn to the right, because that's the way I always go, and I'm like, I'm going to go down that way, and I started thinking about it. See, I wasn't afraid of the boogeyman. I'm too old to be afraid of the boogeyman by now. But I started thinking, I said, man, I don't have a knife with me, I don't have a gun with me, and there are, there are hogs out here, you know, there, there are all kind of creatures out here, there could be snakes out here, and I can't even hardly see where I'm going. And if, if, heaven forbid, I'm walking down this dark road and something makes a noise, I, you know, I probably hurt myself from trying to run or something. So I decided, ah, not a good idea. I'm going to go down this other way. Went for a walk. It was great. Had no issues. That road that I described going to the right, and that's, that's, that's the road 
that we have to avoid. Because heading down that road, if we're not careful, please hear me, brother, sister, hear me when I say this. Going down that road, if you continue to just do what you want to do, there is a further hardening of the heart. There is further separation from God, which leads to further discipline from God, and which ultimately ends in condemnation, not glorification. See, those are the two paths that God's discipline takes you. As I said, David and Saul are traveling on the same road, but they're headed in opposite directions. To close off, John Owen said, you must be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Let me ask you this morning, what direction are you headed? Be honest with yourself. Look at your fruits. How have you responded to God's providence? Has the path of your life led you away from the things of God? Has it led you to further disobedience of God's word? Has it led you to further separation from his people? Now, if it has, then repent. Repent. We're no better than you. God's grace is available to you. But you have to acknowledge, you have to acknowledge who you really are. Repent of your sin before it takes you away from the grace and mercy of God. Today is the day of salvation. Now, on the other hand, if you can stand here and you can say, no, I'm, if you can truly say, I'm, I'm good. Like, I, I see my path. My path is leading me to restoration. It's leading me to sanctification. And I want you to praise the Lord. I want you to praise the Lord because you didn't get there on your own. As Paul said, I am what I am because of the grace of God. He has directed your steps. He's involved in every detail of your life. The good Lord, despite your wickedness, despite your sin, he has brought you to where you are today in his mercy and in his grace. How humbled are we because of that? Let's pray.